Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged. Amen. Well, and good morning, everybody. How How's God's everyone doing today? Life from a brand Come on, new get a little more excited. We're in the house of God. Enjoy there we go. Message. There we go. Well, thank you so much, uh, John. And uh, I'm excited to be with you today. We're going to continue on in our series on The Chosen. If you're a first-time guest with us, uh, I'm excited that you're here because this series has been life-changing. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the show The Chosen. It's free. You just download an app. But And I know it's kind of weird that we have to say this. Like um, when Christian stuff comes out, we, we have to say like, I promise you it's actually good, right? Like it's not, it's not bad. And this series has done very well, but it's this series that's following the life of Christ, and it's totally focused on the four Gospels. And uh, the way that they're doing this and portraying things, I think, is, is wonderful. In fact, like as a Bible nerd, um, I, I love it. Like they put things in there that are so subtle, uh, but really talk about the time and the text and things like that in ways that uh, most of us, I think, miss, but I get excited. I have to pause the show quite often with Kelsey, and I'm like, did you get what they did there? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, let me see, hold on. Let me give you a 45-minute lecture on why this is so important. Um, <laughs> it's not, though. Um, but I also want to just thank you guys. Last week, uh, my mentor, one of my mentors, Pastor Chris, was here, and he got to share. And I hope that encouraged you if you were here for that last week. And if you didn't watch it, go back and watch it uh, on YouTube or something like that where we, we post our sermons because I believe that his word and what he had for us was so timely and needed. Uh, but this past week, we left right after church on Sunday, and we went on staff retreat. We went to Orlando, and we did all kinds of really great things. We, we raced go-karts, these electric ones at Andretti Racing, and we, um, what else did we do, Danielle? I'm like, I have a haze. We went bowling, and what? Oh, Kennedy Space Center. I just have a question. Um, who won racing and bowling? She just got the biggest eye roll ever. I won everything. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but no, one of my favorite parts of the entire weekend, I mean, we really got to pour into the team, but we actually went to Kennedy Space Center. And I don't know if you went there, like, as a kid, it's really boring. But as an adult, you're really like, man, this is cool. Like, I'm like a space nerd now. I've watched three documentaries since I got back on space. And it was just amazing to me. In the amount of time since the launch of NASA, what we've been able to accomplish. In fact, NASA didn't exist before 1959. And what started NASA was actually kind of out of desperation. In 1959, um, the Russians launched a, a satellite into space. Many of you probably know this. It's called Sputnik. And the American, like this is during the Civil or the uh, Cold War, and like people are freaked out, and they think that Russia is actually like looking down on America, and people are freaked out. And so Eisenhower says, hey, we need to launch a space program. And so they start to do that. And if you think about this, NASA is just now 61 years old. And not only have we gone to space, we've orbited the moon, uh, we've landed on the moon. Some of you aren't sure about that. I think we might have. Uh, I think we did it. Uh, but now we're looking at colonizing the moon so that we can launch our next mission to colonize Mars. In fact, I watched a documentary last night that we sent a probe just a few years ago in 2018 to the sun to measure the sun and what's going on there, and it only took them 85 days to get there. Uh, the, 
the uh, space rocket that they sent out was traveling 165,000 miles per hour. To give you like context of that, to travel that fast, it would take you like two and a half minutes to travel from New York to LA. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, zoom, right? And so we're making all of these incredible, like, ways forward right now in life. But the way that NASA started was out of this feeling of being unprepared. Like, they quickly realized, and we quickly realized, like, we are not prepared for what's going on. Like, this space program is moving much faster, and we have to do something about that, right? Russia beat us to the heavens, and so the United States realized, like, we've got to get on mission here. But I don't know about you, but to launch something into space and to go to other planets, that takes big vision. I mean, like, big vision. In fact, we talked to our team about that. Like, what kind of vision do you have for your area of ministry? Right? It, does it feel like you have vision, like, launching something into space? Because I feel like we have a much more important mission here. Our mission isn't just to go figure out what's out there. Our mission is to bring God to people and people to God. And I think that that's the most important mission the world has ever seen. And so we looked at it, and, and when you have big vision like that, there's this sense of your life that you feel unprepared. In fact, there might be part of your life right now where God is calling something into your life right now that you just don't feel equipped to do. You don't feel prepared for what God is calling in your life right now. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but yesterday with our volunteers, uh, before we had a potluck last night, and we, we, we do this twice, like this happens twice every weekend, and, and when I asked all of our volunteers, I said, hey, just if you feel unprepared for something in life right now, would you just raise your hand? Every person in the room, raise their hand. I feel unprepared, right? There's a hand right there, right? I feel unprepared for this. I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get where I need to be. And this morning as we go into the chosen, you're going to really see that there's some people who feel unprepared for things in life. The call of God in their life and the call of what's happening in their life. You, like when you're called to a God-sized vision, it makes sense that you're not going to feel prepared for that. And for a lot of us, when we feel unprepared, we kind of give up. Or we just won't try anything. Like we are worried, like, hey, if we get into this, how are we going to get out of it? Or how are we going to get where we need to be in this life? But that's not the life that God's called us to. That's not the life that you and I are meant to walk. Like when you feel unprepared for a God-sized vision, how do you and I respond? And so in this very first scene that we're going to look at today, it's actually going to come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It's the only story that we get, really, of Jesus as a child. Jesus is going to be 12 years old in this story. But I just, for a second, can you imagine with me for a second, not only being first-time parents, how many parents are just trying to figure it out right now? Like, you've raised kids, and it's your, your oldest kid, and you're like, I feel unprepared. Like, I don't know. I got hands all over the room. Like, how do you deal with that? And you're walking into some of these scenarios. Not only were they first-time parents with Jesus, but they're raising the Son of God. Could you just, like, imagine how unprepared you would feel? Like, I got to raise the Son of God. Like, how is this going to happen? Who am I to do this? And you're going to see in this, this clip here 
one of these incredible stories about what is going on and, and, and how we feel unprepared. And I really believe this morning you're going to see how we can begin to deal with a lack of preparation. And so turn your attention to the screens for this very first clip. He's okay. Why is everyone so upset? Mary, he wasn't there. You were supposed to be riding in the caravan with Uncle Abaita. I was supposed to be with my father. Then why weren't you? I was. <sighs> you were in the temple? It was incredible, Mary. You should have seen him. He was teaching when I found him. The rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, they could not believe their ears. They barely let us leave. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? It is too early for all this. If not now, when? Just help us get through all of this with you. Please. Maybe we should get going before they make a formal inquiry. Hmm? Jesus, please don't do that again, huh? Yes, Abba. May I read? We'll see. Hmm? Come now. We've got a long journey. What are you going to do for your mother for this transgression, huh? I'm going to make him rub your feet. Abba. <laughs> we find this story of Jesus uh, being lost, essentially. Could you imagine that, losing the Son of God? Like, any parents ever lost a kid here? Like, you're, you're freaked out, right? Like, you're like, oh, man, my kid's missing. Could you imagine losing God's son? Like, you, I bet Mary was walking around like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then she was like, well, hold on. I, I'll find him. Like, just give me a few minutes. But in this moment, could you imagine how unprepared Mary felt in this story? Like the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, listen to what it says. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Now, this is really important for you and I to understand, right? The Bible doesn't have things in it by mistake. It, like, the words and the mention of what they were celebrating is really important. Because the Passover celebrates this day where Israel remembers the miracle of how God saved them. 
See, the final of the ten plagues that were to hit Egypt when Israel was enslaved was this day that we now celebrate as the Passover. And what happened on that day is Israel was told by Moses through the inspiration of God to go and sacrifice a perfect spotless lamb. And what they were to do was to take the blood of the lamb and to put it over the doorpost of their home. And when they did that, the Bible says that death passed over them and their, their children were spared from this plague. And see, like, the reason why this is so important is because Jesus is the literal fulfillment of the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the perfect, spotless lamb of God whose blood washes away our sins and covers us so that we no longer die. And that doesn't mean physical death. That means spiritually And so Jesus would go and celebrate this Passover meal in this Passover time with the people. In fact, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, many of you may know that story, is a celebration of the Passover. But I want you to realize what happens here. It says they were there, and they were there for the Passover feast. And when he was 12 years old, they went according to the custom, and when the feast was ended... As they were returning, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, some of us are going to think, like, this is weird. Like, you didn't notice that Jesus wasn't in the car? Like, you didn't notice that Jesus wasn't with you? And parents, let's be honest. How many of us have, like, we're missing somebody. We don't realize it right away. Like, sometimes Kelsey texts me, like, when we leave church, and she's like, are Jude and Scout with you? And I'm like, yeah, they're with me this time, right? But here's the deal. When they left, everyone traveled in a large group together. One, it was a lot safer, but two, everyone was coming from the same place to go to Jerusalem, right? So they were going from Nazareth, they were going to travel, and they were going to move through the desert and go up to Jerusalem. And look, when you've raised a kid who hasn't sinned, you basically assume that, hey, they're going to be there where they're supposed to be, right? Like, that's a time that probably assuming it's going to be okay. Now, did Jesus sin? Absolutely not. But Jesus was telling a greater story of what's happening. So let's cut Mary and Joseph some slack, right? The text even explains it. And when the feast had ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing or assuming him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after, everyone say it, three days. Now, what did Jesus just celebrate? The Passover meal. After Jesus dies, after the celebration of the Passover meal, how many days is Jesus missing? Three days. And on the third day, he rose again. That's how long he's missing. And this is a precursor, an image for you and I to understand and to see that Jesus is telling a story. I was missing for three days after the celebration of the Passover, which is this day of atonement where the sins are are covered over by the spotless lamb and death passes over you. 
Jesus is telling them something just in the way that he's living about what's to come. How many of us need to realize that sometimes God speaks things into your life in the past and you don't know what he's saying? You don't really realize that the word that's spoken then is a word that's for you now. And so he was gone for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Makes sense. He kind of wrote the book. right? All of this stuff is about him. He probably understands it. And then his parents saw him. They were astonished. And, when, or, and then his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been basically searching for you with great distress. But she's saying this, You scared me half to death. You were missing. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I would be where God should be? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Look at this last part of this verse. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Notice that even when she didn't understand, she probably connected with the idea of this is something that I should remember. So she treasured this moment in her heart. And so when you're feeling like, obviously Mary and Joseph feel unprepared. They're first-time parents with Jesus. Things didn't go normal. You didn't have the baby in the normal way. And not only that, but this is the Son of God. Like, how many of you had an angel visit you in the middle of your sleep to tell you that you were going to have a baby? Right? It's everything about this has been a lack of normal. Every part of this hasn't really prepared them for what is to come. And first-time parents know you feel really unprepared. But I find that a lot of us feel very unprepared when we walk into things in the wrong way. See, some of us have been called by God to do something really incredible in this life, but you've walked about it and gone into it in your own effort. See, that's the thing about God-sized vision. That's the thing about a God-sized mission. You can't be prepared for every part of that. If, it, if you were, if you could have everything in yourself that you needed to get that mission done, it's not from God. It's not. It's a man-sized vision. It's a man-sized thing. But when you and I are feeling unprepared, we need to do exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They started back at the beginning. They went back to this time where they remembered and saw that things weren't going well and where things went astray. They said, basically, we saw Jesus there a day ago. We need to head back to where we saw him last. But can you imagine just for a second looking for a missing child for three days? Three days. They can't find him. Three days, they can't move forward. Three days, they feel unprepared. And when you and I feel unprepared, we need to go back to the beginning to maybe set the foundation properly in our life. Where do you need to go back to the beginning of your God-sized vision and mission in your life and re-establish the beginning, re-establish the foundation? 
Like some of us, your marriage is, is feeling, I'm unprepared for what's going on. And maybe God is saying, you need to go back to the beginning to remember what was right and bring me into this. Maybe in a relationship, maybe in your business, maybe in your church life. Maybe some of you are a first-time guest here because things haven't gone well at other places. And so you're saying, I got to go back to the beginning. I got to go back to starting again. Some of you online need to get back to church. You feel unprepared for this life. See, NASA did the same thing. See, after we launched people into space and they went into orbit and all of these things, 16 minutes after Alan Shepard went into space, the first American to go into space, John F. Kennedy announced in a press conference that we were going to the moon. Immediately. Can you imagine that? You've been in space for 16 minutes. You just made it. And then the boss gets up there and goes, hey, we're headed to the moon now. Can you imagine what every scientist and person working with NASA must have felt like? They must have felt really unprepared. And so what did they do? They, they hurried. They moved quickly, right? Has anyone ever in your life said, hey, we're going here? And you're like, I got to go. I got to go hurry up. Well, that's exactly what happened. See, in response to what was happening, NASA wanted to beat Russia to the moon. We had to, we had to win that battle. And so the United States launched this program called the Apollo program. You might have known, like Apollo 13. Anyone remember Apollo 13? The Apollo program was the moon mission program. But see, Apollo 1 had a real big problem. These three guys, their names were Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. We're going to be the first three astronauts in world history to orbit the moon. On the, a couple days before the rocket was supposed to launch, they were in the capsule that they were supposed to ride in preparing for the mission. While they were preparing, tragedy struck. There was a fire inside the capsule. While they were on the, the, the launch pad, 41 stories up, all three didn't make it. There was nothing that they could do. And right after that, the entire Apollo mission was put on hold. See, NASA ran into a big vision thing unprepared. And when they were unprepared, there were dire consequences. And so what they did is they stopped the entire mission, and for two years, NASA reevaluated. And in fact, they went back to the very beginning. They took the capsule that they had designed and tore the entire thing apart and started over. They wanted to make sure that nothing like this would ever happen again. But I want you to notice something. Even though tragedy struck, they kept pushing forward. See, so many of us, we feel unprepared, and we, maybe you've gone through something in your life that has really basically taken things away from you, and, and it, it kind of ended in a catastrophe. And so you've got to go back to the beginning, but you feel unprepared to go into the future again, so you've just stopped. Your, your life is on hold right now because you're just not sure, and you don't want to see the same mistake again. But see, the beautiful thing about catastrophes can be that you learn how not to do it again. You can walk into this life in a new way. But not only when you feel unprepared do you need to go start back at the beginning, you need to go where you think God should be. Notice what Jesus said to him. He said, 
Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? For three days, they looked everywhere that Jesus wasn't. That's what the text means there. For three days, they searched every other place where Jesus wasn't. And they finally went to the one place he should be, the temple. Look at what the Bible says here in Luke 2, 49 to 51. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. And then the Bible says that they go back to Nazareth, but Mary takes this moment and holds it deep in her heart. See, you and I have to begin to realize, like, when you go back to the beginning, you've got to go back to where God should be. So many of us, when we feel unprepared, get right into our flesh, right into our life, and we go, we just start working again. We just start trying to make it all happen on our own again. And all you're going to do is feel unprepared, and when you feel unprepared, you'll make compromises. Right? Like, I'll just take a shortcut. I don't know how we're going to actually get there, so I'm willing to do anything to get where I need to be, so I'm going to take a shortcut. How many of us in here have taken shortcuts in our relationships, shortcuts in our jobs, shortcuts in our finances, shortcuts in our life, shortcuts in our home, shortcuts in our business, and let me ask you, because you felt unprepared, you felt compelled to make basically bad decisions, and how has that worked out? Because you feel this pressure of being unprepared, so you'll do anything to make it happen. you got to go to where God should be. So where should God be in our lives? The Word. John chapter 1, verse 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the physical embodiment of the Word of God. Or prayer. Some of us don't want to pray about certain things because you think God's disappointed in what's going on in your life. So I don't want to pray about it because I don't want to kind of bring this to your attention. Newsflash, it's already been brought to his attention. He already knows what's going on and he knows the one thing that may help you is the one thing you're avoiding. What about fasting? And you say, I can't do that. You can fast from something. Maybe you fast from Starbucks. Maybe you fast from Instagram. Maybe you fast from Facebook. Maybe you fast from Netflix. I mean, what would happen in our lives if we spent as much time praying and reading the Word of God as we spent binging Netflix? What would happen? I I don't know. I don't know anyone who's tried it yet. (laughs) I feel unprepared. Well, just go for it, right? Like, if you go with God, I doubt it's going to go bad. What about church or groups? See, Listen, I'm just going to tell you the truth. Some of us believe that when we spend an hour and 20 minutes in church a week, that's enough to make it through the other rest of the part of the week. This isn't enough. This is the catalyst to get the week going. This is the catalyst to start things. This is where we pour into you so you can pour out into others, but you got to get into a group with other Christians and other believers to be filled back up. How many of you know you forget the message 30 minutes after you leave here? You're like, what did he talk about again? I don't know. It's gone. Now I feel really unprepared. This, I'm just telling you guys, this is not enough. This moment is not enough to sustain your life. You're wondering why you feel spiritual atrophy. You're wondering why you don't feel close to God during the week because you're not around God people. Look, listen, I'm just going to tell you the truth. We don't start groups because it's really convenient for us and it's really great for us and we just like doing more things during the week. I have four kids. I have four jobs. Like, I'm not doing groups because I'm like, I just like being busy. 
I see the necessity of getting around other believers where God can speak into our lives together. Maybe the one thing that you're missing in your life right now that you feel unprepared for in life is because you're not around Jesus' people during the week. Get into a group. Not just so you can say, I'm in a group. Maybe it's the one thing that God wants to use to help you, to get you moving where you are. But how many of us, when we feel unprepared, God gives us a word, we don't understand what it's saying, but we have to hold it close into our heart. We have to hold it close in this moment. See, we started with the story of Jesus and him being a child, but now we're going to move on to the story of Peter. And if you were with us last week or watched online or anything like that, you saw that last week Peter got called to be a disciple after catching so many fish that they couldn't pull it into a boat. It's the story of this miraculous catch, and Peter begins to follow God. But how many of us, when God calls you, you just don't feel prepared? You just don't feel prepared to do this thing in life that God's calling you to do. Peter feels exactly the same way. Check out this clip. Nothing that makes sense. Last night you told me the truth. Let's continue with that. So, I worked for hours last night and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went to shore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time, which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then... So many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay off the whole debt. I... Uh, what? I know. Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain. More than what you just told me. No, it's like the story of Elijah and Elisha. Yes. Elisha was plying with 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. A calling to follow him. And without delay, Elisha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher, Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was him. 
And then, and then he called me to follow him and Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives. And I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this is... Upset. sometimes I don't want you to feel abandoned you have to go with him how could I feel abandoned I feel saved yeah it's not gonna be easy when have we ever had anything easy <laughs> it's not our people's way <laughs> you notice what happened in that clip Peter knows he's called to follow Jesus. He feels totally unprepared to do it. He says, I don't know how we're going to make a living because he was a fisherman. I don't know, like you're asking me to leave everything that I use to provide for my family. And I don't know how this is going to happen. And I just want you to notice something. When you feel unprepared, but you follow the call of God, he will provide people who will encourage you along the way. But here's, here's what's happening in that passage. See, this is what the Bible's telling us. This is what we're going to see. We're going to move on to John chapter 2 and the very first miracle ever seen in the Bible. And you're going to watch a story on that in just a second. But when you feel unprepared, not only do you need to start at the beginning and you need to go where God should be, but you need to listen even when it doesn't make sense. Listen, when we started this church, I was working at Liberty, making good money, working in higher education. We had a house. We had vacation. We had all of these things. And God said, go back to your hometown to plant a church. And my income dropped by three quarters. We had to move back into my parents' house. We had to do all of these things. And there wasn't a room full of people like this. And there wasn't a room last night full of people like this. There was nobody. It didn't make sense. And we felt so unprepared. But let me tell you something. Maybe that's what God wants for you. Maybe he wants you to be unprepared. Maybe he wants you to feel like you've got to rely on him. Because he's not asking you to do anything other than just listen. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't 
all fit together. And we understand this in our world because how many of you parents have said this? You ask your kids to listen to something in your life and they say, why? They don't feel prepared with the information that you've given them. But what do you say? Because I'm your parent and I said so. What are you really asking your kids to do? Listen to me because of who I am, not because of what is going on. How many of us, your Father in heaven is looking down at you right now and he's called you to something and you feel totally unprepared for it. And he says, I'm asking you to listen, not because of what, but because of who I am. I'm going to ask that you trust me in this moment. And how many times in the scriptures do we see this? Abraham is asked to leave his homeland to go to a new place with no one there. But he listens. I mean, he moves to a new land, new place, new everything, unprepared. But he said yes, and God prepared everything. How about David and Goliath, small shepherd boy who's a teenager. You're going to go fight a giant, and you can't even wear armor, and you can't even protect yourself, and you're going to go one-on-one with the biggest Philistine in the world with a sling and a stone. Just say yes. How about Moses and the plagues? And then when he brings Israel out of Egypt, they get to a sea with no crossing. What about Gideon and the 300 versus an army of thousands? How about the walls of Jericho? How about the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? How about this? How about to love your enemy? How about to forgive a thousand times or seven times 777. He, what he's saying is there's no lack of forgiveness here. I feel unprepared for the things you've called me to, God. And what we learn in the scriptures is that you have to listen even when it doesn't make sense. I want to highlight one verse as we get ready to go into our next clip. This is the wedding at Cana. This is the miracle of turning water into wine, the very first miracle in, that's recorded in the life of Jesus. So the party runs out of wine. This is going to be a disaster. Huge, huge uh, moment where, where there's going to be a lot of embarrassment. And look at what the Bible says. So Jesus' mom, Mary, goes back to Jesus and she says, hey, they're out of wine. we're out of wine. They're unprepared. And Jesus, verse 4, answers and says this. Woman, and that's not a term of, like, we would say it today. It's not like a disrespectful term. It's actually a very respectful term. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. She doesn't even answer him. She turns around and looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. See, because Mary remembered a time when she didn't understand exactly what Jesus was doing, but she was supposed to listen. And right now, Jesus is going to tell them to do something that doesn't make sense. You feel unprepared, but you just need to listen. Check out this last clip, and we'll end the message in just a second. Just watch out for the frogs this time. <laughs> oh, sons of Jonah! We were just looking for you. They're dancing to the song of Miriam, and we thought you wouldn't want to miss it. Of course. Let's the three of us show them how it's done, huh? I don't think that's such a good idea. Why? Andrew has four left feet. Four? <laughs> Why four? When he tries to dance, he looks like a donkey walking on hot coals. <laughs> oh, Andrew, do you deny it? I've never seen a donkey walking on hot coals. 
Actually, that would be a terrible thing to behold. My son. Ah, Andrew, you see, even my own mother will join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day. Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. Fill these jars with water. I'm not sure you heard her clearly, but we've run out of wine, not water. These are similar in size to your own foray. The prudent marks, yes. Equally filled all the way to the brim. You're a very responsible person, aren't you? We are in a crisis, and I was led to understand you have a solution. Do you know why jars for purification rites are made of stone? What? You heard me. Because the stone is pure. Less likely to stain or break. That can't be made unclean. Yes. Fill these jars with water all the way to the brim. Why? You heard him. Start drawing water, quickly. Tell anyone you find to stop what they're doing and help. From the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. It's going to be like that sometimes, Thomas. What did you say? I do not rebuke you. It's good to ask questions, to seek understanding. There's no time for this. I know of a man like you in Capernaum, always counting, always measuring. That's my job. And that people will think I have not done well tonight. Join me, and I will show you a new way to count and measure, a different way of seeing time. Go with you where? I, I don't understand. Keep watching.
Going on. Abner, I do hope you're enjoying yourself. Where are the servers? I don't know, but I'll go find them right away. It is far past time for another round of wine. The last one was nearly an hour ago. Yes, well, you Surely see... Surely there is more coming, Dinah. Uh, I'm very sorry. Yeah. Please do not worry. This will be taken care of immediately. Next round of wine, right away. Thank you for reminding us it's all under control. Was your father a stone mason as well? Smith. I think it broke his heart, but... I apprenticed under a stone cutter when I was nine. Every man must leave his father. Masonry seems like harder work. <laughs> it isn't harder, it's just... More, uh, final. If the smith wants to change the horseshoe or the plowshare or the pot hook, he has only to put the iron back into the fire and reshape it to fit his designs. Therefore, Everyone, please step outside. Just for a moment, Thomas. Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. I'm ready, Father. some out and serve it to the master of the banquet.
promise you, no one is coming. Time. The latter vintage, sir. Good, good. Let's have a taste. Stop the music! Stop the music! Everyone, listen! I have something I would like to say. I would like to address the bridegroom and the bride families. At every wedding I've ever overseen, they serve the best wine first. And then, when the people have drunk freely, much later in the feast, they serve the poorer wine, the cheap stuff. <laughs> because by then, who is going to notice? <laughs> Am I right? But you, you have chosen now to serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. May the wedding of Asher, son of Rafi and Dinah, to Sarah, daughter of Abner and Hila, be as pure and as fruitful as this wine. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. To Asher and Sarah. To Asher and Sarah. John chapter two, verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out choice wine first and then cheaper wine after the guests have had plenty to drink. What he means there is drunk people don't taste things. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Did you notice what Thomas said in that story? See, we all need Thomas in our life. We all need the skeptic. They ask the right questions. And he asked Jesus this question, or he says this. He says, from the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. Maybe God's saying to you right now, what I'm asking you to do doesn't make sense, but I'm asking you to listen. I'm asking you to have faith in this moment. See, what you and I need to understand that this was going to be a total disaster. And in fact, it wasn't Jesus' problem but he fixed it. He did everything to fix it. And not only did he just turn water into wine, he turned it into the best wine this man had ever tasted in his life. See, the last way to get through things when you feel unprepared is, is very simple but very hard. Have faith. 
just have faith. Like we all want 10 ways to get prepared. I don't know 10 ways to get prepared for God's vision. I just know one way to believe. You know, out of this staff retreat, there's some vision that God's given us for this church that I feel totally unprepared for. But I'm going to believe that what God has called you to, he'll get you through. He'll provide everything that you need. He'll provide every part of what you need, and not just at the minimum, but above and beyond, right? This is Ephesians. To the God who's able to do more than we could ever hope for or imagine. They were just surprised that it was going to be wine, not that it was going to be the best wine ever. How many of us are missing the miracle of God in our life right now because we're not willing to move forward because we feel unprepared? I don't know how this marriage is going to get fixed. I don't know what to do. I'm totally unprepared for this. Just step forward in what God has called you to do. I don't know how this business is going to work. Just step forward into what God has called you to do. See, you need to step forward in faith to see the miracle of what's going to happen. So let's make it real simple. What do you need to do? You need to bring your jar. That's it. All God's asking you to do is to bring the jar. He'll make the wine. All God's asking you to do is bring forward this thing that he's called you to do. And you have very little to give in this situation. And all he's saying is, I'm just asking you to bring that forward. I'll handle the rest. I've got your back. I'm going to provide everything that you need. And not just minimally. I'm going to exceed it. Here's what God's saying. I've got your back. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I know that it seems impossible, but I'm the God of impossibility. So let me just ask you as we get ready to end here today, maybe you feel so unprepared for life right now. You can think of all the reasons why you shouldn't, but instead you just need to hear the one thing that God's asked you to bring forward. And for many of us, that thing that we're supposed to bring forward, that jar we're supposed to bring, is our yes. A simple yes. That's it. Okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm just going to say yes right now. I believe that you're going to do it. And so where do you find yourself in this moment of life? Maybe the jar needs to be forgiveness. I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive this person for what they did, but I'm just going to bring it forward. I'm going to trust that you're going to help me. Maybe it's faith. You just, you're on the brink. And God says, with a little bit of faith, you can move mountains. So just bring what you got. Money. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. God says, I might not give you a big fat check, but I'll provide in every other way. When we got here, we had no money. We were so poor. We never missed a bill. We never missed a meal. Just bring your yes, and God will provide everything else. And some of you just need to hear right now that even when it's a mess that he didn't make, God's got your back. He's for you, not against you. And when you feel unprepared, you feel like you're against me. Why aren't you providing more? And God's saying, I will be, but you're going to rely on the provision more than you are me if I give it to you at the wrong time. See, the greatest thing that God can ever give us in this life is to grow our faith. And maybe the reason 
you're facing an impossible situation right now is because God wants to grow your faith. You feel unprepared for a reason because if you felt prepared, you wouldn't need him. And he's saying, you need me every day. I just need to help you realize it. 